Blog Talk Radio. prepare our vote for the past year. Already more than 12,000 votes have been received. Votes by artists and artisans, stars and technicians alike from all the manifold activities of Hollywood. Votes counted and recorded in the strictest privacy by public accountants. And Hollywood talks of little else as the evening approaches. The Academy Dinner. Come with me, Mr. and Mrs. Audience, and you, Tommy, and Mary, too, to the Coconut Grove in the Ambassador Hotel. See for yourself. And be conscious, as I am, of the outstanding mood of this brilliant gathering. Suspense. Who will win the Academy Awards? The tension grows and grows. Little else is thought of, little else discussed. For not one whisper of Hollywood's choices has been allowed to escape. Everybody's here. Everybody's curious, covetous, envious perhaps, but excited. For dearly cherished is the recognition by our fellow workers of our efforts. Remember, I am Oscar, the ultimate glory in Hollywood's success. This is Hollywood's big night the night dreams are made of. Because on Academy Award night, they see the culmination of all the efforts of the past year, whether they be actors or actresses, directors, producers, whatever it is. This is the big night. You know, I dream about it every night. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. can't even open the mail because of, you know, all the envelopes. It just piles up. Uh, latte for Timmy. It's Jimmy. No, it's Timmy. Come on, man. You got to get the name right. I tried to get past the past, you know, put it behind me, but it just catches up to me. I feel like I'm losing my mind. And then the worst part is, mm-hmm. they want me to do it again. Really? So what do I do? I don't care what you do. Just get out of my house. I thought we were, like, in this... Out. Hmm. Jimmy Kimmel hosts the Oscars live Oscar Sunday, March 4th on ABC. There's no door. Try the window. Love that new ad with uh, Jimmy Kimmel, and if you didn't recognize the voice, that's Warren Beatty in the ad, uh, acting as like Jimmy Kimmel's therapist uh, in an ad for the upcoming 90th Oscars that was just released in the past week. But uh, yes, good evening, everyone. Jason O'Brien here on the Oscar Oscar online radio show here on blogtalkradio.com and back live on the air here on Monday night. It's February 5th, 2018. The telephone number for the show is 646-915-9500. My email address, if you want to get a hold of me at any time, is jaobrien1971 at gmail.com. That's J-A-O-B-R-I-E-N-1971 at gmail.com. I'm just giving up on the online chat (laughs) for those listening in live. It just hasn't worked in, like, years. So, um, anyway, I know most of you catch this show on the archives since – especially lately, uh, never know when the show might be. So I appreciate whenever you happen to be listening in. And let's do this at the top of the show, see if we can't get just a little bit of money. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at www.audibletrial.com slash Oscar Oscar. 
That's audibletrial.com slash Oscar Oscar. So if you're looking for an audio book, you could help me out just a little by doing that. Anyway, yes, back in the air here on the Oscar Oscar show. We are 27 days in our Oscar countdown to the 90th uh, annual Academy Awards. And uh, the Academy today had a big event. It was the annual Oscar nominees luncheon, uh, which we'll get to after a little bit, uh, which is truly one of the great events that the Academy always throws. Um, I always talk about how the uh, Oscar season, which goes from when the Oscar nominations are announced to Oscar night, is such a great time when you're an Oscar nominee, um, when there's still the possibility of you winning and you get to be part of this kind of huge family. And the Oscar nominees luncheon is one of the great events that the Academy does to kind of bring everybody together, take the annual Oscar class photo um, of everybody that can attend, uh, that kind of brings everybody together in this celebration of film for the year. So uh, that happened today. Uh, but yes, we're still 27 days out from uh, Oscar night in this uh, longer Oscar season because of the upcoming Winter Olympics, which I believe start uh, this Friday, I think. Uh, but that's why the delay, and we won't get the Oscars now until March 4th. So uh, anyway, so tonight uh, is just one of our countdown shows. We'll be updating all the latest news and some of the precursor awards that have happened because we did have some of the major precursor awards that have happened, including the Producers Guild and Directors Guild Awards, which uh, – are helping to shape the Oscar race, and we'll kind of see where we are as of this date. Um, and as I mentioned, uh, you know, we're we're doing I'm doing the show as I can. Uh, we'll probably do another show on the 19th in a couple of weeks, kind of update you know where the uh, Oscar race is, and then definitely make sure to pencil in March 1st. Uh, that's Thursday night. Uh, that's our annual Oscar prediction special, and that will be. Uh, our panel of five, all back from uh, last year, Jamie Duvall, Garney Johnson, uh, Mark Johnson, and Chelsea Del Prey. We'll all be here to predict uh, the Oscars in every single category, and that's our biggest show of the year. Uh, and that will get your Oscar weekend started uh, right at the beginning of the month. So that's March 1st for sure. So, um, But yes, uh, probably just a couple more shows here in the Oscar season uh, until we get to the Oscar prediction special uh, to catch up on everything since it is a longer Oscar season. But just keep checking at blogtalkradio.com slash Oscar Oscar uh, for when a show gets scheduled. So again, I, uh, I always appreciate you listening in when you can. Um, as I've been mentioning repeatedly, just uh, craziness in the personal life and and just a lot of, of things that I'm uh, having to go through right now that are kind of preventing me from doing the usual kind of shows that I would do. Um, but I'm still here, still doing the show as I can, and I appreciate when you can listen in. Um, so let's see. All right. So let's see the Oscar nominees luncheon. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, so yes, with the Oscar nominations now out, um, the Academy announced all the different, uh, uh, coverage planning calendar and the Oscar press kit and all the different social media guides, uh, that you can follow. Um, if you're going to hashtag, there's hashtag Oscar noms. Uh, of course, hashtag Oscars, uh, to tr you know, you can use during the social media season or to track anything about the Oscars. For the nominees luncheon, you can use hashtag Oscars lunch. Um, hashtag Oscars 90 is the one being used for anything related to the 90th anniversary. Um, and then, of course, if you want to track the Academy on social media, Facebook.com slash The Academy is its Facebook page. On Twitter, it's Twitter.com slash The Academy. On Instagram, Instagram.com slash The Academy, and on YouTube at YouTube.com YouTube slash Oscars, and on Snapchat, just look up The Academy. And uh, this is where, again, I have to chime in that The Academy in recent years has done an exceptional job of, of, of really moving into social media and 
you know, all throughout early years, I've always been talking about how I wish the Academy would release, you know, footage from previous Academy telecasts, and they have done that. Uh, if, if you've ever wanted to catch up on old ceremonies, uh, there's just a plethora of entertainment that you can find at youtube.com slash Oscars uh, going way back when in Oscar history. Um, all kinds of clips, including the most recent Oscar telecasts. Uh, the Academy has done a great job of putting all of that out there. So, um, Anyway, um, so yes, before we get to the Oscar luncheon, let's talk about the latest Oscar news in preparation for the 90th Oscar ceremony in 27 days. Uh, it wasn't a big surprise here that was announced that Casey Affleck would not present the Best Actress Award. Now, if, uh, if any of you are familiar with uh, the Academy Award, that's been the tradition uh, for many, many years now that the four acting winners from the previous year come back to present the uh, the opposite award. So usually the Best Actor winner would come back to present Best Actress, for example. And uh, Casey Affleck, of course, won Best Actor last year for Manchester by the Sea. But because of this year and the Me Too movement and all that's happened, and even last year was kind of a surprise, you know, Casey Affleck uh, was under a lot of suspicion for his own uh, sexual misconduct allegations. But especially now this year with so much coming out about everybody, uh, he did announce on his own that he would not uh, attend this year's Oscar ceremony to present. Um, and... Uh, the, in response to the withdrawal, an Academy spokesperson said, we appreciate the decision to keep the focus on the show and the great work of this year. So it looked like Casey Affleck kind of knew what was in the wind about that, and um, the Academy wasn't put in a kind of uncomfortable position of having Casey Affleck uh, present. Um, no, nothing has been announced as far as other presenters yet, but, uh, but probably a very wise decision by Casey Affleck to not present. Uh, the Academy has been uh, putting out a number of new rules, a lot of which will govern future years. Um, but one of the ones, of course, uh, <laughs> as you can hear from that ad where Jimmy Kimmel, you know, making fun of, uh, you know, the nightmare last year when uh, La La Land was announced Best Picture and uh, Moonlight was the actual winner Best Picture because of an envelope error and, of course, a Price Waterhouse Coopers error. Uh, new rules were uh, unveiled to govern the handling of envelopes. Uh, Tim Ryan of PricewaterhouseCoopers revealed six new reforms as part of protocols and safeguards to prevent such a blunder in the future. Um, so basically, you know, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, the accounting firm that tabulates uh, the Oscar results, has been doing a whole lot of work um, grilling the partners, uh, reaching out to people affected by it. Um, and basically, in the months that followed, Pricewaterhouse met with the Academy many times to come up with new protocols and safeguards to prevent such a thing from happening in the future. Uh, he said, one of the most disappointing things to me was all the great work that had been done, not only last year, but over the last 83 years around accuracy, confidentiality, integri integrity of that process, and where we got it wrong was on the handing over of the envelope. Um, because basically, you know, it's, it, last year what happened was a PricewaterhouseCooper mistakenly handed an envelope for the Best Actress winner category – which had already gone to Emma Stone in La La Land, uh, to Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, who were presenting Best Picture. And uh, because the title of the film uh, is printed larger, uh, they announced La La Land as the winner of Best Picture. Um, but basically, nothing is being changed in the voting tabulations and the procedures. Instead, it's going to be reforms focused on the envelope rituals. Ryan's uh, said he will be personally involved with Oscar operations this year as PricewaterhouseCoopers U.S. chairman and senior partner. So other changes he announced include the addition of a third balloting partner who will sit with Oscar producers in the show's control room. 
Just like the balloting partner stationed on either side of the Dolby Theater stage, this person will have a complete set of winner's envelopes and will commit the winners to memory. Um, he's calling this, think of it as a safety control. So someone will be sitting there with all the winners memorized, so someone will be able to quickly respond if, uh, if someone announces the wrong winner. The two partners who worked on last year's Academy Awards have been replaced, though Ryan confirms that both still work for PricewaterhouseCoopers. The new stage-side partners overseeing the envelopes will include Rick Rosas, who previously worked in that post for 14 years, and colleague Kimberly Burden from the company's Los Angeles office. A new formal procedure is in place for when envelopes are handed over. Both the presenter and a stage manager will confirm that they've been given the correct envelope for the category they are about to present. Uh, all three balloting partners will attend show rehearsals and practice what to do if something goes wrong. Uh, and he said, because, as you're well aware, it took a long time to respond last year when there was a mistake that we made, so we're formally practicing the what-ifs. The final change is one the Academy immediately instituted last year, uh, saying Price, PricewaterhouseCoopers partners are prohibited from using cell phones or social media during the show, because that was another problem uh, with one of the partners, saying our singular focus will be on the show and delivering the correct envelopes. Uh, besides tabulating votes for Oscar nominees and winners, PricewaterhouseCoopers handles much of the Academy's accounting, including audits and taxes. Uh, Film Academy Chief Don Hudson said that after reviewing the relationship between the two organizations, and given that the voting and secrecy around the Oscars were never compromised, the Academy chalked up the envelope mistake to simple human error. Still, it was a big human error, and it was a very public human error, Hudson said. Ultimately, Academy officials and board members decided not to throw out 83 years of flawless partnership over this. Uh, well, one huge, one human error. Um, so Hudson said, let me tell you, I don't think this error will ever happen again or would happen again. Uh, we put in a lot of protocols to make sure it won't, but I don't think it will anyway. I think everyone will be very focused on getting that right. And Ryan is similarly confident, saying, my nature just as a person is healthy paranoia, but I also know in my head that we haven't left any step undone. We owe that to the Academy. While I feel very, very good about all the work that's been done and the attention to detail that's in place, our job doesn't end until that curtain closes. So uh, safe to say they're going to go overboard in making sure that there's not any kind of error this year um, in announcing uh, – the Oscar winners. So, uh, but it's good to see that you know the Academy isn't just firing Price Waterhouse Coopers after all of those years that it's been the official counting firm. God, I can't even. As long as I've lived, I think it's always been Price Waterhouse Coopers that has been the accounting firm for the Academy. So, uh, at least they recognize that this was the mistake of uh, really one individual, and uh, and having good protocols in place will ensure that this doesn't happen in the future. A uh, very, very cool event that the Academy is putting on, the Oscar Concert. Uh, this is a one-night-only celebration of the history of film music in honor of the 90th Oscars. And this is, again, where you know I, I don't want to live in L.A., but you know I, it, it's great around this time of year when the Academy puts on so many great events like this. It would be great to be able to attend some of these, and this is one of them. This will actually be taking place uh, right before Oscar weekend. It's on Wednesday, February 28th at 8 o'clock p.m. at the Walt Disney Concert Hall. Uh, but this is uh, – as part of the Oscar Week celebrations for its 90th anniversary, the Academy, in partnership with the L.A. Philharmonic Orchestra, presents an exclusive one-of-a-kind celebration of film music, including never-before-heard arrangements of this year's five original score Oscar nominees. Uh, but basically, the evening offers an insider's look at film scoring across the decades with select scores performed live by the Los Angeles Philharmonic, led by conductor Thomas Wilkins and special guest Terrence Blanchard, with additional special guests to be announced. This Oscar concert is going to explore the history of film music through special arrangements of beloved scores by composers including Tan Doon, Quincy Jones, Mika Levi, Rachel Portman, A.R. Rockman, and many more accompanying film clips shown in HD on Walt Disney Concert Hall's large screen. 
The evening is going to open with an introduction by Oscar-winning composer Michael Ciacchino and Oscar-winning director Pete Docter, who will explore the challenges and rewards of film scoring utilizing music from the Oscar-winning animated film Up. Uh, the, the evening will be organized into vignettes exploring the emotions and excitement that film scores evoke, including the sound of home, the sound of the chase, the sound of fear, the sound of love, and the sound of courage. And the evening will close with the world premiere of specially arranged suites from all five of this year's original score nominees, which of course are Hans Zimmer's Dunkirk, Johnny Greenwood's Phantom Thread score, Alexandra Desplat's The Shape of Water, John Williams' Star Wars' The Last Jedi, and Carter Burwell's great score for three billboards outside Epic, Missouri. But what a great idea. This would be such a great concert. Um, so it's not only – like it's going back to film history with like uh, – in The Sound of Home, for example, it's going to be scores from Nicholas Nickleby, Armacord, and Slumdog Millionaire. And then The Sound of the Chase goes way back to The Great Train Robbery. And then uh, scores like David Grusin's score for The Firm. The Sound of Fear Block is going to have Michael Levi's score for Jackie, John Carpenter's score for Halloween, John Williams' score for The Witches of Eastwick. Um, the Sound of Courage will have Terrence Blanchard's score for Malcolm X, uh, Alex North's score for Spartacus. Uh, what, just what a great idea. So you know, if, you're, if you happen to be in the L.A. area and can attend that, that Oscar concert is going to be Wednesday, February 28th at 8 p.m. Uh, just a really, really great event. Tickets for this are available for purchase at laphil.com. That's L-A-P-H-I-L.com or in person at the Walt Disney Concert Hall box office or by phone at 323-850-2000. God, if I could just make a trip out there for that, what a great concert that would be, uh, especially you know, loving film scores like I do. Anyway, but as I mentioned, the Oscar coverage planning calendar is out for what this Oscar season is going to be like. Today was the, the next big event in the Oscar season calendar. The nominees' luncheon was held at the Beverly Hilton Hotel. Uh, the next big event is going to be this upcoming Saturday with the Scientific and Technical Awards. Uh, that's its own separate ceremony, and then we get usually a brief recap and snippet of clips during the Oscar ceremony. Um, the awards press credentialing office will open on February 26th, uh, and then, of course, we have a, a whole bunch of events going on all that week of the Oscars leading up to uh, Oscar night on March 4th. All right. So as I mentioned, the Academy has put out some new rules, too, not only in the uh, envelope procedures uh, for this year's Oscars for the accounting firm, but also going forward, the Academy's cracking down on Oscar campaigns. This, this is something that seems to come out every single year. Uh, <laughs> the Academy always trying to get a handle on Oscar campaigns. Um, so starting this summer, movie screeners and promo materials can no longer be directly sent uh, to Academy members but instead must go through mailing houses that the Academy will select and then furnish with contact information for members. Um, so this is kind of a big thing you know, because for so many years, uh, studios and can, could send uh, promo materials and movie screeners directly to Academy members, but uh, this is a new attempt now to uh, no longer have that kind of thing happening. Um, but yes, the Academy was holding a meeting at its Beverly Hills headquarters with publicists who work on awards campaigns to brief them on a new policy that was approved at its December 5th meeting. So after this year's Oscars, filmmakers and distributors can no longer mail screeners, screening notices, or invitations, can't send screenplays, CDs, or any other promotional materials directly to Academy members. So the Academy will require that these items go through third-party mailing houses uh, that the Academy puts together. Um, so uh, again, this is always an attempt because there's always criticism of you know studios that have big pockets that can – you know, just canvas Academy members and, you know, potentially sway the voting. So uh, 
I've always said that I think you know the, anything the academy can do to uh, um, you know kind of keep unfair uh, practices like that that can affect the voting is certainly a good thing. So. Um, and then in this year of the Me Too movement and so many of the uh, the sea change that is so welcome and happening in Hollywood, uh, the Academy has also uh, adopted a new disciplinary procedure to enforce their code of conduct. Um, and uh, this was something that they had already been doing earlier in the summer. Um, but in a letter to members, Academy CEO Don Hudson said the Academy's goal is not to be an investigative body but rather ensure that when a grievance is made, it will go through a fair and methodical process. This process will determine whether a claim will be brought to the board for possible action regarding membership status. But under the new procedures, claims can be submitted via a secure link on the Academy website or by phone call to the Academy's membership department. Claims must include supporting evidence such as a second witness, a second party who was told of the violation, a contemptuous written report, or evidence that the claim is part of an established pattern. Claims will then be forwarded to the Academy's membership and administration committee, which can decide to take no action or to notify the subject of the claim that he or she has 10 business days to respond to the charges. The committee can then decide if remedial action is necessary or if the matter should be referred to the Board of Governors, and only the board can decide whether to suspend or expel a member. The member will have 10 business days to appeal any decision. Uh, but basically they said there's no place in the Academy for people who abuse their status, power, or influence in a manner that violates recognized standards of decency. If any member is found by the Board of Governors to have violated these standards or to have compromised the integrity of the Academy by their actions, the Board of Governors may take any disciplinary action permitted by the Academy's bylaws, including suspension or expulsion. So uh, this is a good thing, and, uh, and so many organizations are you know, revisiting this, um, as I mentioned, you know, in this tidal wave that has been happening and so needed because of so many years that this kind of thing has been going on. So uh, it's good to see the Academy uh, following suit um, as well. Uh, it was announced also this past week that the Academy Museum uh, COO is stepping down. Uh, this is one of the things that I've been, you know, talked about over the years that I've loved that the Academy's doing. Um, would love to plan for my next trip out to L.A. for when this museum is finally uh, up and running. Um, but Rick Cherry, who was the COO, uh, the Academy's uh, currently under construction film museum has resigned after just one year in the position. Uh, the Academy is, they said uh, in a statement, the Academy is grateful to Rich Cherry for his service over the past years, our chief operating officer. During his time with the museum, he helped guide us effectively through a critical period of construction and institutional planning. Rich will remain with the museum through the end of February. We wish him success as he focuses on his museum consultancy firm. The museum has begun a search for the next COO. Uh, the museum's construction um, is planned opening has now been delayed until early 2019, so still a lot of work to be done for sure. All right, so as I mentioned uh, today, before we get to some of the precursor awards that were presented, today uh, the big event for the Academy and probably one of the biggest that they do during Oscar season is the annual Oscar nominees luncheon. And I always think this is such a great event um, because, you know, this, this, like I said, this time between the Oscar nominees being announced and the ceremony, you know, it's it's almost like this kind of family, and everybody is, you know, I, you know, talking to people that have been nominated for Oscars. You hear about what a great kind of feeling this time is, um, and uh, the Oscar nominees luncheon is certainly a part of that, where basically everybody's kind of brought together. Um, and the Oscar nominees luncheon was held today, and this just happened only a few hours ago, so uh, I didn't get a chance to really review a lot of the news from today. Um, but here was Laura Dern who uh, announced. Because uh, basically one of the big events that they have is uh, the Oscar photo, uh, where basically they bring everybody up on risers to stand together and take an Oscar nominee's photo. 
And uh, Laura Dern gave a brief introduction before introducing everybody, and if I got this audio uploaded correctly, we can hear this. It's a privilege to join you all today and participate in honoring your achievements in film and perhaps deeper in building empathy and connectedness. We share our love of film and storytelling and therefore a deep interest in humanity. May we all also take pride in the community we invest our time and our passions into by working together to build a space where we create the world we want reflected and understood, both behind and in front of the camera, in terms of telling everyone's story. This year, your films are such a shining example of that. They are a privilege to watch and to learn from. As Einstein said, creativity is contagious, pass it on. And now, I am thrilled and honored to announce each nominee and invite you to the somewhat reckless risers. I'm not gonna lie, guys. It's not the easiest thing. I, I can't even read this part because I've seen people almost trip. So, um, you will be gathering for the historic class of 2017 photographs. The great news is stage managers will be greeting you as you approach the stage to assist you onto the risers. If you have heels, you do not have to go where they tell you to go. You can just go into the lower part because it could be tricky. So here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, as I introduce each of you, Aaron Sorkin, adapted screenplay for Molly's Game. So anyway, that, that video was just uh, put up actually on the Academy's Facebook page, so you can go check that out if you'd like to see everybody uh, get up. But yes, over 170 of the nominees this year, a good turnout, uh, the Oscar nominees uh, turned up today including Meryl Streep, Steven Spielberg, uh, Greta Gerwig, Jordan Peele. They were all there. And uh, so I'm just going to kind of read through some of this. Again, I didn't have a chance to really look through uh, some of this since this just happened a few hours ago. Um, uh, but yes, there are a variety of different speeches that are given. First-term Academy President John Bailey referenced the Academy's ongoing inclusion efforts as well as the Me Too uh, movement. Uh, he said, I may be a 75-year-old white male, but I'm every bit as gratified as the youngest of you here that the fossilized bedrock of many of Hollywood's worst abuses are being jackhammered into oblivion. The Oscar telecast producers are always on hand. Michael DeLuca and Jennifer Todd, who produced last year's telecast and producing this year's, were there. Uh, they applauded the diversity of this year's nominees, uh, which they said was more reflective of society than nominee classes of years past. Special guest Patton Oswald humorously advised guests about how not to mess up their speech if they should win an award. Um, and one of the things that I love that the Academy does, um, they, in, the, in the way that they arrange the tables, they make sure that like, they don't just sit like all the high-level people together, like you know, all the stars are together at a table, but they actually mix them up so that you have maybe someone nominated for a short film award sitting at a table with Meryl Streep, which I think is one of the very coolest things that they do. And it's one of the great things that I love about the Academy Awards in general, you know, that it's a show that celebrates you know, all of the crafts of filmmaking. You know, and and all the arguments that we ever have, you know, as to, hey, let's not – we're not interested in seeing, like, sound editing and sound mixing and live-action short film being presented. But I'm, I'm so glad the Academy sticks with presenting those because it's great for all the people to see that there are many, many people involved in making a film, and they all deserve their moment on stage just as much as those actors and directors because I can tell you what, without those film editors, without sound mixers, sound editors uh, – Production designers, uh, cinematographers, all of them, 
they would not be up there receiving those awards. So I love that the Academy at the nominees luncheon sits everybody, you know, mixes them up at different tables so that people get an opportunity. You know, someone who just happened to make a short film that got nominated for an Oscar might end up at a table with Steven Spielberg. It's a it's a great, great thing. Um, so, um, but yes, among those seen chatting uh, was Daniel Ellsberg, the actual Pentagon Papers whistleblower whose story helped to inspire the post was there with Steven Spielberg along with Best Original Screenplay nominee Aaron Sorkin and the woman who inspired his film, Molly Bloom, were actually there. Disney chief Bob Iger was there, whose ABC network broadcast the Oscars. Uh, he also serves as the chair of the campaign for the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures. Um, so yes, uh, and then everybody kind of looks at, you know, as Laura Dern is introducing, you know, everybody kind of pays attention. You know, it's one of the things in kind of predicting the Oscars, you know, paying attention to who gets the loudest reception. Um, Guillermo del Toro got a very loud reception. Uh, Rachel Morrison, uh, who's the first woman ever nominated for Best Cinematography, um, got a huge uh, ovation. Um, Jordan Peele also got a huge ovation. Others who were audibly popular with those in the room included Greta, Greta Gerwig, Allison Janney, uh, Meryl Streep, Steven Spielberg, Willem Dafoe, uh, Saoirse Ronan and Sally Hawkins, uh, Best Actor nominee Daniel Kaluuya, and uh, Best Director nominee Christopher Nolan. So, so I don't know if we can go by the applause if that's going to, you know, be a good predictor of who might win the Oscars. But it's it's one of those things uh, to kind of see. So, anyway, I'm sure the Academy uh, will be releasing more videos from the nominees' luncheon in future days. So, uh, as it is for now, you can see when they're all being announced and get up to take their Oscar nominees' photo. Uh, if you go to the Academy's Facebook page, that video was just released in the last hour or so. Anyway, so maybe as a better predictor of uh, who is going to win the Oscars in 27 days, uh, instead of who got applauded at today's nominees' luncheon, is to look at some of the more precursor awards that have been presented, and especially now in the uh, where we are in the Oscar season because we're now getting a lot of the industry uh, awards that come out, as opposed to like the Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice. Uh, which have already kind of shaped the Oscar race. Um, now we can see what the industry is saying with some of these guilds. And the Producers Guild, uh, which is a big precursor because the, best, the Academy's Best Picture Prize is an award for the producers. So a lot of times this is a, a good predictor. And the PGA Awards were recently announced, and The Shape of Water was the winner of the big prize of the Daryl F. Zanuck Award for Theatrical Motion Pictures. And the Best Animated Theatrical Motion Picture from PGA went to Coco. Um, so, uh, the shape of water certainly, uh, you know, when we last, uh, when the Oscar nominations were announced, you know, the SAG awards had just been announced and, uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, you know, had one really big at SAG and had already been winning a lot of awards. Uh, I'd still say three billboards is a really strong front runner, but the shape of water, uh, certainly, you know, getting a huge boost and it's such an unconventional choice, you know, because, you know, fantasy kind of films as a whole, uh, you could consider this a fantasy film. You could consider it a science fiction film. Um, you know, it's certainly not the type of Oscar uh, best picture that we usually see. Um, and that's where I say Three Billboards is pro maybe still the favorite, but we have a long Oscar season to go. And then, uh, and there's such love for Guillermo del Toro, and uh, he won one of the best precursors there is, and that was just happened this last weekend with the Directors Guild Prize. He won the Best Director of the Year. Of all the various precursor awards that happened before the Oscars, the one that lines up the most uh, with its corresponding Oscar Prize of Best Director is the DGA Prize. Um, and I think that's probably one of the easiest categories to predict now. I think even though there's so much love 
uh, for Greta Gerwig and the fact that she, you know, one of the few women to ever get nominated for Best Director. Um, even if The Shape of Water were not to win Best Picture, uh, there's just so much love for Guillermo del Toro, and I think he's certainly going to win, and he won um, the DGA Award uh, this past weekend. And uh, the DGA also gives an award for Best uh, First-Time Feature Director, and uh, that went to Jordan Peele for Get Out, and of course he's a fellow Oscar nominee. And again, I think I think with Greta Gerwig and Jordan Peele, you know, their achievement this year is getting the nomination. But I think, you know, there's such a such an overwhelming sense that Guillermo del Toro will win for Best Director. So, unless the winds of change just happen to go throughout February and uh, something else changes, that seems to uh, be the continued front runner. So the PGA and DGA weren't the only precursor awards recently presented. We also had some other industry awards. The Art Directors Guild announced their choices. And again, these are harder to predict because they break down a lot of the categories um, into different kinds of films. They have Best Period Film Art Direction, and the winner of that was The Shape of Water. Best Fantasy Film, uh, the winner for Art Direction was Blade Runner 2049, and Best Contemporary Film Art Direction winner was Logan. And for Best Animated Film Art Direction, which, of course, uh, we really don't have an Oscar for that, went to Coco. Um, but again, the more Coco's winning, um, you know, certainly puts it kind of in the frontrunner status to win the Best Animated Feature Oscar. The Eddie Awards were also presented, and these are the Guild's Awards for Best Film Editing. Uh, the Best Edited Feature Film Dramatic went to Lee Smith for Dunkirk. The Best Edited Feature Film Comedy went to Tatiana S. Regal for I, Tanya. The best, edited, the best Edited Animated Feature Film winner was Coco, and the Best Edited Documentary Feature went to Jane. And then speaking of animation, the Annie Awards were presented. And if you ever want to see uh, you know, awards that have probably more categories than you ever can imagine, look at the Annie Awards and then uh, the yet-to-be-presented Visual Effects Society Awards. If I, if I happen to go through all of the categories, that they had, we'd be here for a very long time. So I won't go into that, but the biggest one out of the Annie Awards um, is, of course, its Best Animated Feature Prize, and that also went to Coco, uh, the Pixar film. They also give a Best Animated Feature Independent, and that went to The Breadwinner, which is a competitor of Coco's at the Oscars. So, uh, so definitely in the Animated Feature category, it's been a good couple of weeks for Coco, and it looks to be the favorite uh, to win the Animated Feature Oscar. Um, another specialty uh, precursor award that's presented, uh, maybe less of an influence on the Oscar race, are the Dorian Awards. Uh, this is given by the Society of LGBTQ Entertainment Critics, um, where Call Me By Your Name was hailed as the best film of the year. Actor of the Year went to Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird. For Best Performance of the Year, Actress went to Sally Hawkins in The Shape of Water. Best Performance of the Year by an Actor, Timothy Chalamet in Call Me By Your Name. For Best Supporting Actress, Laurie Metcalf in Lady Bird. Best Supporting Actor went to Michael Stubarg in Call Me By Your Name. And the LGBTQ, LGBTQ Film of the Year went to Call Me By Your Name. So uh, that one doing well there. Um, let's see. All right, so that was all of the Precursor Awards that brings us up to date with this year's Oscar race. Uh, one second. Still dealing with a lot of congestion, actually. I'm glad it's kind of going away. Oh, and this is a great time when you're in uh, February. I always love the month of February for another reason. You know, not only is it you know right in the midst of Oscar season, but that means the Oscar season brings us the annual uh, 31 Days of Oscar on Turner Classic Movies. Um, I always love Turner Classic Movies, one of my favorite channels. Uh, 
you know, just any time I happen to be like late at night wanting to just check out a movie. The month of February is a great time because every time you switch over to Turner Classic Movies, whatever movie you're watching is going to be either a film that has been nominated for an Oscar or won an Oscar. And every year they come up with some kind of different theme or way to present um, their 31 days of Oscar programming. Um, and this month's lineup is separated by the categories in which each film received a nomination or win. Uh, so, for example, uh, this already started on February 1st, so let's see where we are. February, what's today? February 5th. Do I have it? Of course, I'm probably not going to find it here. Da -da -da -da. Oh, yes, okay, so February 5th right now, all the films today playing on TCM were Best Costume Design winners and nominees. Um, but come, like on February 1st, all the nominees uh, were Best Original Song winners and nominees. February 2nd were winners and nominees from the Best Score category. On Thursday, you can check out all winners and nominees in the Best Sound category. On February 11th and 12th will be Best Director winners and nominees. Um, let's see, February 10th are going to be Best Art Direction winners and nominees. February 13th are all going to be Foreign Language category winners and nominees. So it's like that all month long. So um, that's a really unique idea. I can't believe they haven't done that before. But, um, but yes, check out Turner Classic Movies all this month. Um, as another great way uh, to prepare for the 90th Oscars to celebrate uh, one great film after another, all Oscar nominees and our winners uh, playing on Turner Classic Movies. Uh, one movie-related issue uh, that I wanted to discuss, and this was part of the Monday movie question that I wanted to ask tonight, um, because you know we we seem to get, you know, we we've talked about the Me Too movement a lot on this show, and it's it's certainly probably the biggest um, thing that has happened to Hollywood over this year. Something that you know the Oscar ceremony will certainly be dealing with. We've already seen it handled um, throughout this award season so far. Um, and this this item kind of came out as an offshoot of this uh, because Uma Thurman recently came out with even more stories about Harvey Weinstein and how she was sexually assaulted by him. But then as an offshoot, she also talked about filming on Kill Bill um, and how Quentin Tarantino forced her into uh, driving a car. For a scene at a high rate of speed, and she ended up crashing the car into a tree and ended up injuring herself very badly, uh, saying she got a concussion and uh, damaged knees from it. And uh, basically, uh, the story that happened here is that she wanted a stunt person to do this scene, and Tarantino insisted that she do it. And uh, it's raising a lot of questions, not only about Tarantino, but also about um, the nature of how far do film directors go, because there are also stories of how... She, he basically spit in Uma Thurman's face during filming, um, also uh, tied her up with a chain or something. Um, you know, and it's, it's certainly way past the, the normal extremes of what a film director needs to go to. And Tarantino's far from the only director that we've heard of directors that you know, really employ you know, techniques that are very questionable uh, to elicit certain performances. And, um, and one of the interesting things about this is that uh, you know, this footage of this – of this accident um, has never been released, and it's something that Uma Thurman and Tarantino have been fighting over over recent years. But uh, Tarantino finally agreed to release it, and uh, Uma Thurman was was actually saying also that um, you know Tarantino knew that this would be very damaging to him, but still agreed to release it, feeling it was the best thing to do. Um, and Uma Thurman did uh, you know credit him for doing that. Um, so uh, it's hard to kind of know. You know, um, because Uma Thurman said that Tarantino was very remorseful about doing that, and you can even see in the video where uh, Tarantino comes up to the car and, uh, 
you know, is making sure she's okay. Um, certainly doesn't excuse it. Um, and I, I can only speak from like a filmmaker's perspective. Um, because, you know, I myself, like, I, I push myself as like a cinematographer, especially. Um, I will put myself in some, inc- you know, situations that uh, probably a lot of people wouldn't. You know, for example, this past year, I wanted to get a shot um, uh, of a moving car. Um, and of course, on a low budget, you know, I didn't have one of those fancy, uh, you know, car rigs. Um, so uh, I just strapped myself to the top of a, another moving car uh, to film that. But I wouldn't put someone else in that position, like as a director or something like that. I wouldn't ask someone else to do that. Um, so you know, I, I'll push myself to certain levels, and uh, everybody else thinks I'm crazy, and they'll, you know, I thankfully I have a crew surrounding me that are going to make sure that I'm safe and protected. But um, I do think when you're actually, you know, making someone else like an actor or, you know. I mean, there's really no reason why a stunt person couldn't have done this particular scene, um, you know, because I think a lot of directors can go way too far. And especially something like this, you know, when your actor is sitting there saying, you know, that they'd really rather have a stunt person. And and again, you know, I'm not there, so I don't know what exact reason that Tarantino, you know, thought that, you know, a stunt person was somehow going to take away from the scene. But uh, it seems extreme. Uh, definitely a lot of his methods that we're hearing about are, are definitely sounding extreme. And, and that to me is a problem, um, you know, because no one, you know, especially making a film, no one should have to feel in danger, um, you know, um, unless you're choosing to put yourself in that danger. And it's something that, you know, like Tom Cruise, for example, how he'll want to keep doing his own stunts. You know, it's, it's one thing if you choose to do, something because you feel it's what's going to be best for the film but if someone else is is pushing you into doing something that you clearly feel uncomfortable with um you know no no film is worth getting a concussion damaged knees or potentially dying i mean the, if you watch the video it is pretty harrowing to watch i mean she could have done a lot more damage to herself for sure so um um so the monday movie question i wanted to ask what you thought um about this and if it kind of changed your opinion of tarantino you know um, because, you know, I've, I've been a fan of Quentin Tarantino's for a long time and I've loved his films and, you know, but this, this definitely distressed me to kind of hear, um, a story like this. And, um, so we didn't get too many responses, but, uh, one of my fellow filmmakers did respond and I wanted to see what he had to say. I had a feeling he probably would respond. So let me get back on Facebook and see, okay, that was our only responses. So I asked the question, did Quentin Tarantino go too far, and does this change your opinion of Tarantino? Raymond Johnson simply replied, yes, Tarantino went too far, and yes, it changes his opinion of Tarantino. And then Daniel Bamberg said, did he go too far? I don't know because I really was not on the set, and I have no idea what specifics were in the contract at all, and neither does anyone else opining on this. Was there obvious negligence? Yes, and the studio and production are responsible. Tarantino has responsibility here. Do I think Quentin Tarantino attempted to sabotage a three-and-a-half our feature film as it was shot to be, mid-production, with his first opportunities to work with David Carradine and Sonny Chiba, big deals to him, by killing the actress he helped develop the project with from the ground up in order to pay a life debt to Harvey Weinstein. Absolutely 100% no. And anyone who honestly believes that is even a possibility needs psychological help. It makes absolutely no sense. There was tons of gunplay in Kill Bill. If they wanted to off Uma Thurman, they would have been much easier to go the Brandon Lee route. Has this changed my opinion of Tarantino? My opinion is he's a great filmmaker. I have absolutely no idea what kind of person he is, and neither do most of those opining. 
In a day where we're knee-jerking on careers based on improper incidental moments, not referring to Weinstein or Spacey here, we tend to forget we all actively almost worship the likes of Hitchcock, Houston, Peckinpah, Antonini, Allen, and Polanski. All of those men have highly questionable histories. We're two years removed from Meryl Streep leading an awkward standing ovation for Roman Polanski at the Golden Globes, while we're now actively snubbing James Franco for not calling cut when an actress's modesty patch fell off. Tarantino was likely wrong here. Thank God she didn't die. That said, I don't recall anyone boycotting the Twilight Zone movie, The Crow, or the last Fast and Furious movie. So, um, so that was Daniel's opinion on that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very uh, difficult issue to discuss because, again, we're not on the set, um, you know, and I've been on a number of different film sets, and there's all kinds of different situations that happen. So uh, it's probably not fair for any of us uh, you know, to really, truly judge but I know just personally for me, it, 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 it just bothers me you know, because I, I think that you, you do have to listen to your actors especially, and you do have to listen uh, to the people that are trusting you. you know, As a director of a film, you are the one in charge, or if you're a producer of the film, and you know, if, if someone you know, is pushing you to do something, you know, people that are working on a film are typically going to do it because they're all there uh, to serve the greater good, and they all want to make the best film possible. And uh, and there is a trust relationship, especially between actors and directors, and I value that relationship more than anything on a film. And uh, so it, it seems to me, from you know, from just from what I'm reading, that this this is a violation of the actor-director kind of trust, and it just doesn't make sense to me as to why you know this particular shot couldn't have had a stunt person do it. Um, you know, I've seen I've seen the Kill Bill films a number of times, and trying to remember. You know this particular scene, and there's many, many ways. You know we've we've <laughs> we've been filming the scenes of people driving for a very, very long time in the history of movies, and uh, there are many, many ways to do this safely. And we've unfortunately seen you know incidents like even uh, Bamberg was mentioning in his comment, uh, you know, of people that have died on sets and uh, safety precautions that were not taken. And um, I was recently having discussions with uh, some of my colleagues on films. That safety is the number one concern it needs to be when you're using weapons, when you're filming anywhere. Um, you just you have to take safety into consideration, um, and, and especially if you're the one putting other people in harm's way. Um, like I said, it's it's one thing if you're you're deciding to do something on your own, um, you know, because uh, you know I'm a crazy son of a bitch and I'll I'll do anything when I get behind the camera, um, you know. But I'm not gonna tell somebody else to uh, do something crazy if they're not comfortable doing it, and uh, you do have to take care with that. I think it's a very important uh, thing. So anyway, I do appreciate uh, uh, the responses tonight to that, and I'm sure that will be a continuing discussion. Um, as the industry continues to grapple with so many different things, because, uh, of course, uh, Tarantino is also being criticized for the fact that uh, a number of actresses, including Daryl Hannah, you know, uh, that, that Tarantino knew about so many of these allegations against Harvey Weinstein for a number of years and uh, apparently did nothing about it. A lot of reckoning that's needing to happen and is going to continue to happen um, in the industry. Uh, it's been definitely needed for a long time, so… Anyway, so that is where we are here on February 5th, uh, where the Oscar race is as of now. Um, there's not a lot of precursor awards. You know, a lot of the precursor awards now have already been given. Um, the BAFTA awards are still another one that will be coming up, I think, in another week and a half or so. Um, and that's a televised award ceremony. That's, of course, the film awards that take place over in London. Um, 
so uh, that will be one to kind of watch. Uh, but yeah, we've got a long Oscar season, so there's still, you know, it'll still be interesting to kind of see if anything kind of sways this. This still is a pretty unpredictable kind of Oscar race. Like I said, I think we have some front runners, some of the ones I've talked about, um, you know, like animated feature, best director, um, best actor still looks pretty solid for Gary Oldman. Um, so, you know, there there are some that we can predict, but best picture still is really up in the air, and especially after, you know, something like Moonlight last year and the the changing demographic of the Academy. Um, I don't know. Uh, I still think it's it's pretty strong between The Shape of Water and uh, Three Billboards. Three Billboards to me stands out as the more traditional kind of Oscar winner, but again, like I said, with the changing Academy demographic and how, you know, the Academy is changing – um, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting one to predict. So, Thankfully, I don't have to make predictions until March 1st, so we've got a few weeks. But yes, March 1st, again, write it down. It'll be at 10 o'clock Eastern Time, 9 Central. It's our three-hour epic prediction special. Our panel of five will be here to predict the Academy Awards, and I'll probably be here in a couple of weeks on February 19th, and we'll catch up on the state of the Oscar race then. Um, so that's what the next few shows uh, look like. So anyway, um, thanks very much for uh, tuning in. I appreciate it as always. And um, I will be back here in a couple of weeks to catch you up on the state of the Oscar race. So um, thank you very much, and have a great couple of weeks, everybody.